Hello! Welcome to About Me, a new podcast exploring the strange and complicated stories in which we find our identities morphing through technology. Our podcast is brought to you by Novus, an academic multimedia publication housed at Georgetown University. I'm Kimberly Duran. And I'm Kevin Ackerman. Together, we'll be taking a deep dive into stories gathered from across the land, the land here being the digital world, and how these digital phenomena affect our identities. Hey, Kim, uh, do you ever feel like out of nowhere your content, your stunning, beautiful, innovative, never been done before <laughs> content, underperforms for no discernible reason? Um, suddenly that flood of likes and retweets that you're so accustomed to just fails to come to fruition? No, <laughs> is what I'll say. Um, well. But I will say that that is a really great segue into a larger conversation about topics like technocratic power, freedom of expression, um, and my personal favorite, identity formation. Oh, how, okay. Well, I was, I was just asking a question, but it <laughs> seems like you have a story to tell us. I do. Story time, Kevin. Okay. It all began <laughs> 1995. I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, I just like told everyone my age. It's fine. Okay, basically, let's fast forward from when I was born to I'm at Georgetown University. Mm -hmm. I'm in grad school. Same. It's not an inclusive space, or at least it doesn't feel like that a lot of times. Mm -hmm. um, so I love turning to the internet to find spaces, um, like basically what that means is like profiles and like community pages that um, reflect my identity. Um, which is a queer person of color, a Latina, an artist, a creative. So, an innovator. I think you've once described yourself as an innovator. I have. Actually, multiple times you have. But anyway, you were saying? Anyways, so basically, the internet, this is the space where I am able to form my identity and it shapes me. The people that I follow, um, the people I'm able to engage with and interact with are all people of color, queer, creatives, um, artists, essentially a lot of marginalized groups. <laughs> so these people that I've been interacting with on a daily basis, I have seen this word come up and I wanted to ask you about it. So this is something relatively new. So I think it's called shadow banning. I love Yukio. <laughs> Sorry. I do, though. They banish people to the shadow realm. Which is related to this because I think... Yeah, tell me why. I think from what I've gathered online is that shadow banning on Instagram specifically is a way for these creatives um, who use... Instagram as a platform to engage and create community um, and also as a place of work, basically, um, their content, we're not seeing it. Didn't you just talk to somebody about this? Actually, didn't you just interview someone? One of the people that I follow online, her name is Johanna Toruño. She is a queer creator um she's an immigrant from el salvador and she creates these like beautiful street works of art um and she's based in in new york so she had been posting a, a bit about shadow banning um she's someone that i identify a lot with as a central american like creative and i actually reached out to her 
to figure out what this whole shadow banning deal was. Um, especially what I found interesting was that she actually was able to go to Instagram headquarters and be in this like round table conversation about shadow banning and what that means for people of color, queer creatives. But the concept of shadow banning to me is like, like a betray, like this betrayal of like, of, of, of a relationship that you have with a platform that you think that you have access to. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, like when you think that you're reaching the people that you've built a community with, like when you're preventing queer people or the communities called marginalized people to, when you're preventing that those, those communication platforms that you've built, um, that's a huge problem because there's no difference between us having this conversation about Instagram censoring, um, you know, certain voices than to me telling you, well, that newspaper from, you know, that city doesn't allow queer writers. So, Kevin, as someone who does, like, research on this kind of thing, what is shadow banning? Okay, so shadow banning, as I understand it, as it's referred to in the discourse, is this concept in which one's content is basically censored by removing its reach and audience. So basically, like, sometimes you feel like you're screaming into a void, that's shadow banning. That's, I love that. Yeah, that's all it is. Sometimes, I don't love what yeah. it is, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you for being on the record. Kimberly <laughs> doesn't like shadow banning, everyone. Kimberly doesn't like censorship. And I'm so glad we have that knowledge now. Basically, it's this idea that you're still posting, you're still speaking online, but no one sees it. Um, suddenly, like, say, I always interact with you online we like each other's stuff, uh, we share it, we follow each other. Uh, so you usually show up pretty top of my newsfeed on Instagram. If suddenly I just stopped seeing your content and I would have to search it out, I'd be like, oh, Kim's still posting, but it's not being served to me as this like consumer of Kimberly's content. You would have been shadow banned, basically. So what exactly, what did, what does that even mean, shadow ban? Like, where did that come from? Right. So I think this is so important for us to realize where it came from because it kind of obscures the actual causes of shadow banning today in the environment that we live in. 20, it's, 20, it's 2019, everyone. <laughs> um, I'm so sorry. Uh, but shadow banning, was, shadow banning has been a, um, a tactic for moderating content from the first days of computational networking. Back in the bulletin bulletin board (laughs) systems. Back in the bulletin board systems. So the bulletin board systems, um, colloquially called BBSs. BBs. BBs, if you will. It was a distributed computer network where someone could like host a server and other people could dial into that server. So not necessarily the internet, but like a forum system using computers before the internet. Love that. Got it? Yes. So on these forums, um, specifically in the Citadel BBS software, there was this thing that um, system administrators of the bulletin board system could place a, I'm using air quotes here, you can't see it, but I will. Um, They used a twitbit in which the person that they want to ban just they still see their own content going out into the forum, but no one else does. 
So it's that concept of like they are being shadow banned because they're just kind of like screaming into a digital void. They see their content, they think they're interacting with everyone, but it's being sectioned off only to them. Whoa. Yeah. So it's and that historically shadow banning in this sense has always been um, a human actor actively censoring another human actor. So would you say that that's the case today? Like at Instagram currently? Well, maybe like we can't be sure. We can't be positive because uh, we don't have a lot of information about how um, these giant, some might even say monopolistic tech platforms censor their content, moderate their content, um, how their algorithms work. But I would reckon that it's actually not like a, a conscious decision uh, by a group of people at Instagram or at Facebook, like working to shadow ban certain groups or individuals. Um, and I think that the term shadow banning, because it comes from this place of like a human actor directly censoring another, a lot of people today put that sense of agency um, where like X has shadow banned me, Um, like Instagram has shadow banned me, the algorithm has shadow banned me. They put um, an intentional agency onto the platform or the algorithm that kind of confuses kind of everyone involved to what is happening with their content and why this is happening to their content. So it's interesting that you say that because one of the key takeaways I got from the, my interview with Johanna was she was called, as she mentioned, into this roundtable discussion with other queer creatives. So essentially it wasn't a sort of like admission of yes, we at Instagram are doing X, Y, and Z with your content. However, I think the meeting is a clear um, sort of way of them saying, of them saying that there are departments where algorithms algorithms are being created, um, and we acknowledge that this is a problem. Um, so, Johanna said a little bit more on that. Telling you, Instagram is extremely weird of the fact that queer creators of color on Instagram, queer creators in general on Instagram, know that there's a huge problem. It's, yeah, I mean, they created this event to talk to us about it. Yeah, Joanna's meeting kind of points to this fact that earlier we were talking about how everyone says Instagram is shadow banning me or the algorithm is shadow banning me, um, which I think comes from this history of usually like in shadow banning in years past, like in past networks, past forums, it's been like one person, one entity making a conscious decision to censor somebody else's content. But that's like not exactly how it works nowadays. Um, These algorithms though are created by people. And to say the algorithm is banning me kind of lets those people off the hook for the missteps they're taking. This is actually a really common problem when talking about like artificial intelligence and um, machine learning, which is like the tactic that these giant platforms are using to moderate their content. 
It's called sociotechnical blindness. Um, Deborah G. Johnson and Mario Verdicchio introduced this concept of sociotechnical blindness, which is basically people prescribe a lot of agency to artificial intelligently generated algorithms um, and machine learning techniques. And by doing that, they take out the human actors. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So there are human actors that are actively creating these algorithms, but it gets even more complicated because the algorithms also kind of do have a mind of their own. Um, So these artificial intelligence and machine learning content moderation techniques are trained off of data that exists and reflects the biases of society. So... So basically, mm-hmm. Kim, what are you going to say? <laughs> so basically, the biases are baked into these algorithms. Mm-hmm. Somebody might say that. Someone might say that. Someone might say that. I will say, I it's what that makes me think is in the same way that you have systemic oppression in real life, when these um, biases are baked into algorithms on platforms that we use in our day-to-day life, um, it that systemic oppression essentially transfers um, onto the platforms. Exactly. And that's kind of the, the um, new idea of algorithmic oppression um, that Sophia Noble talks about a lot. Um, the, and you could really easily imagine this happening. Like, say you are running your social media platform um, and you have like the greatest intentions in the world. You want it to be a place, I can't, you want it to be a place where free speech reigns supreme and like people are happy and everyone is like a good actor. Oh no, but there's terrorism in the world. So you're like, oh, actually I don't want terrorism on my platform. I'll use this regulated, um, content moderation to remove terrorism off of my platform. So I'm just like, hi, algorithm. Um, We don't want terrorist content on our platform anymore. Thank you so much. Um, I've trained you with a bunch of news articles about terrorism Mm -hmm. in the United States. Uh, Kim, do you see any plausible negative outcomes that could happen out of that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What are they? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, off the top of my head, it's like the... Sorry that I'm like, pop quiz, Kimberly. Yeah, yeah. so if, if naturally the language and the narrative that is created about what a terrorist quote-unquote looks like in the U.S., mm-hmm. you have people who assume that they're uh, foreign, and it's more specifically they are from a certain religion and look a certain way, their skin might be darker, um, whereas... That may not be the case um, mm-hmm. and isn't on in many like domestic terrorism cases. Right. Um, so that would essentially like be super harmful to these already marginalized groups in, in this utopian, faux utopian platform. So obviously these people think that these algorithms are outside of humans, that they're like clinical, they're objective, like a lot of times Facebook and Instagram laud their content moderation efforts as like, oh, look at what our algorithm caught. Like, great. It's like objective. 
we love objectivity because it's computers, beep, beep, boop, boop, numbers. But all of these algorithms are human-generated artifacts that use training data from the real world that reflects real-world biases that usually are uh, racist. They're homophobic. They're xenophobic. They are... What else we got? They're uh, transphobic. Oh, um, misogynistic. misogynistic. Yeah. Just all Just the bad. The bad. To, they love to oppress marginalized groups. Groups. Who the, and then, in turn, are the most affected by this like lack of attention to this problem. So on a personal level, for example, like my interaction on a day-to-day basis with like Johanna's content, whether that's in her stories or her posts, like that gives me every day like a little reminder of like I'm not alone in this like ivory tower. I'm I'm like creative. I deserve to be in this space and et cetera, et cetera. Like all these like great positive affirmations that are good for my mental health. So when these like inherently biased algorithms are preventing me from seeing that content, that's not fair. That's like not cool. And that affects a lot, a lot of people who are using the internet, more specifically like social media platforms um, as a place of refuge, um, like Mm -hmm. Johanna said. Right. And like this problem of visibility will never be fixed unless the people who are building these algorithms um, recognize these biases in their training data so that they can shape their algorithms because they do have the capability to do that. They can train their algorithms to avoid certain biases or to raise up certain voices um, that have traditionally been um, censored so that they can actually be on this imagined level playing field in the marketplace of ideas. Right. And like, what are some ways that they can create these changes? Because it's again, not like this is not a one problem, one solution kind of situation. Mm -hmm. So, right. So, um, I mean, one thing they like, there's no, there's no laws that, mandate like algorithmic transparency so like an algorithmic transparency law or a co- something about um more transparency and content moderation efforts uh by private platforms that could go a long way to helping researchers determine just exactly how these algorithms their bias plays out um and any other ideas kim how do we solve this how do we solve this maybe we also can look at the company's hiring practices. So when we're talking about like the exclusion of marginalized groups um, online, we're also talking about like as developers, as engineers, um, as the people who are actually involved in the process of creating and training these algorithms, um, there should be more women. There should be more people of color. There should be more queer people. Um, Just in general, a much more representative like screening like there should be a more inclusive screen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there should be a more inclusive work atmosphere because that will that will already like change the way that these algorithms are like being created just by the fact of like including someone from a different perspective than a traditional like white man. To sum up, one 
Algorithms, not necessarily racist, but the data that drives them, definitely racist. Two, shadow banning as a concept, as a term, it's kind of like a boogeyman. Um, it exists. <laughs> Hot take, boogeyman exists. Boogeyman. Just kidding. Um, it, it is just a form of systemic oppression in the digital world. Mm-hmm. Three, platform algorithms are human artifacts and we should treat them like they are. Four, the inherent bias that exists in humans who create these algorithms um, is then baked into these algorithms. So that's why they are also inherently biased. Five, these algorithmic decisions should be made more transparent. Which leads us to six, which is this is not one problem, one solution. There has to be multiple solution across different sectors and industries, like the legal one, or even like corporate like hiring strategies to be- make spaces more inclusive for everyone. Mm-hmm. And that's all. That's all you need to know. That's it. Um, a huge thanks to Johanna Toruño. You can find her at um, Unapologetic Street Series on Instagram or her personal uh, IG, which is Johanna Rain, R-E-I-G-N. I'd also like to give thanks to our investigative reporter, Chelsea Sanchez, our executive producer, Anna Hoffman, and our audio engineer, Ish Sumra. Um, they all have to deal with so much <laughs> working with us. Yeah. Uh, so thank you so much. And I would like to thank you, sweet dear listener, for going on this journey in which we discovered not only things about ourselves, but how ourselves work online and how they're shaped by massive forces outside of any individual's control, but maybe with a concerted effort, we can make a change in this world. So, dear listener, you can follow us on Instagram at Novis Journal. That's G-N-O-V-I-S. And, you know, slide into our DMs if you have a story about how technology has impacted your life in a way that you don't quite understand. And in general, just stay tuned for our next episode of About Me. Bye! Bye.